Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. My name's Josh, if we haven't met. Um, it's great to, great to be here. Um, so Eva, who's seen, she's my wife, and uh, she's pregnant and um, with our second child, which is very cool. And that's one of those answers to prayer that's taken a while. So that's, that's very cool. Um, and that's great. And we, we have a four-year-old son, Silas, as well. And we've, we've started Advent in our home already and, um, because I bought a Lego Advent calendar um, a week ago because I thought it was cool and I was like, we're going to save this. We'll start on December the 1st. And I think we're 14 days in already. And um, because every day it's like, can we open another one? And uh, I'm like, no, I was like, no, we have to start on the first, you know, like we've got to work our way to December. And that doesn't matter. He doesn't care um, because he just wants to open them. And then if, if I don't open one, then him and Ever will go and like, you know, the next minute it's like, oh, we opened another one. I'm like, you ruined the plan. So anyway, it's, uh, it's good. So I think this, this lead up to Christmas, this whole Advent season is really important. And it's important because... You, you know that we can get so caught up in all the other bits and pieces that happen around Christmas. And, and this is so essential for us in settling our hearts and minds and knowing why it is that we're doing what we're doing. And you know, like Jesus is the reason for the season and you can say it and you've probably been saying it since the 90s. But at the same time, we need to know this in our hearts and it, it actually has to be something that transforms our lives. And so this morning, we're going to look at the incarnation we're going to go to a bit of theology, but the purpose isn't just to, to look at that. It's to go, okay, what is the purpose here? Like, what was God doing? What is he doing? And what does that mean for us, essentially? So um, how about we pray and, um, and then we can get into it. And actually, I don't know if you want me to be fast or really long so you can stay in the air conditioning for way longer. Or we might just do an extended, like, three-hour ministry time afterwards and just... Find a piece of carpet. So um, let's, let's pray and uh, let's just invite the Holy Spirit now. That's why we're here. And uh, you've, you've carved out part of your day now to be here. And it's not out of religious duty or obligation. You've done it because we're here to meet with God and to hear from him. And so let's be expectant that he's actually speaking to us. He's probably been speaking all morning. And now we're actually just totally tuned into what he's going to say. So Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are here with us. We pray, come Holy Spirit. Would you increase our awareness to your presence right now as we hear from your word? Or would you speak to us? We, we give you permission to invade our minds. And there you go. We thank you that you are doing a transforming work in us now. Thank you that, that the incarnation that God becoming man was a phenomenal event that has changed the course of history. We thank you that you are still changing history. You're doing something incredible in us, and so we open our hearts and our minds to you now this morning, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, the incarnation is, is a big idea. It's this big idea of God coming to earth. And and we're going to read, uh, if you've got your Bible, we can turn to, to the chapter of John, or the book of John, chapter 1. And we're going to start looking through. If you don't, it's right there, which is nice and easy. 
and start to look to what, what, is it, what is this all about? So John 1 says this, in the beginning, the word already existed. Now, John doesn't go back to like the start of Jesus. He goes back to the start of history, like way before anything. So in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. And the, the word, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to the darkness. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And then from verse 10, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They're reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and, and only son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness come, came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So God is revealed through Jesus, Jesus the, the human, the man. Now, I have a lot of friends. I've met a lot of amazing people. But I've never once been sitting with a friend and questioned whether they were God in flesh. Like they're, they're great. I've got a lot of people that I love. And I don't know if you've ever found this. You don't generally sit with people and go, maybe, maybe you're actually God. You know, and I'm sure COVID revealed that to you. The people you live with definitely aren't God. Um, probably you realize that they are so far from God and they really need salvation. But um, but we realize this when, when you're with people. And I find it fascinating that the, the writers in the New Testament, the people who spent time with Jesus, their time with Jesus revealed to them that he was God. So them being with him. Now, these are Jewish men who'd grown up learning that there is one God and that no human is divine. They would have had that drilled into them. There is one God, no human is divine. And next minute, they're hanging around this guy going, I think you're God. You are human, but you are divine. And that would have gone against just about everything they would have been taught up until that point, which I think is mind-blowing because we don't meet people and instantly assume divinity. We generally see problems. You see some things you like. Or there are famous people, and then you meet famous people, and you're like, oh, you're not so great. But when people were with Jesus, there was something about him. They were like, you are you're a man, you are fully human, but you're more than a man. You're also fully divine. And, and, and they saw him as teacher, as sin bearer, but as, as ruler, as prophet and priest and king. And all through the New Testament, they insist that Jesus should be personally worshipped and trusted, that he is God and no less than he is human. Now, the church has tried to understand this for the last 2,000 years. And, and they've worked, the churches, you know, through history have worked through multiple heresies as people have kind of had different ideas and thought, oh, maybe this idea works because people are trying to understand it because it doesn't fully make sense. How can Jesus be 
100% human and 100% divine. It's like, you know, after you watch like a footy game and they're like, oh, you know, all the boys gave 110%. And it's like, that doesn't work because 100% is the max. Like you can't actually beat 100%. That's it. So how can Jesus be 100% human and 100% divine at the same time? And so they went through all these isms. There's Docetism and Ebionism and Arianism, and all these different heresies. And then there was Nestorianism, which is the idea that Jesus had two personalities under one skin. Or Eutychianism, which was the idea that Jesus, his divinity swallowed up his humanity. Okay? And so they're working through all these. And each one, it's like, no, I don't think that quite works because to go there kind of removes this. And if we remove this, then we can't sort of go there. So then there was the Chalcedonian formula. And that, this is in 451. And through a council, they realized this, that Christ is one person with two natures. So he's all human and all God. And there's no confusion or separation or division, even though in your head you're going, there has to be some sort of division or separation or I'm confused. But when we look at Jesus, we look at him as going, you are fully God and you are fully man. Both. Now, sometimes if you watch the movie where you have to hold things in tension that you don't fully understand. And I think when we look at this, sometimes we can look like this. I saw the movie Tenet recently. Has anyone seen this? If not, it's phenomenal. Amazing film. And I went one night, it was a Friday night, I went with a few friends and Friday nights, generally by that stage, I'm like, by 8 p.m., I'm just like exhausted and probably asleep. And, and we're seeing this movie. And as we walk in, Stu Brand goes, I think this goes for two and a half hours. But I'm going to be asleep in five minutes. And, and the movie was incredible. And I, I didn't sleep. I was amazed. But it's one of these ones where it looks at time moving forward and then time moving backwards. And the whole time, there's all these interconnecting bits. And you just have to suspend reality and hold these hold multiple ideas so it's like you're spinning a plate over here and then another one over here and then there's this one over here and we walked out of the movie and i was like i think i understood it i think i almost get it and then we started talking outside and someone's like i've no idea what happened no clue like two and a half hours of sitting there so one of the other guys like no idea and then the more you talk you're like actually i don't think i know what was happening but i think i do and then it's like but the soundtrack was cool and so um you know it's like <laughs> It's just nice to be at. Um, and, and I think often when we think about ideas like this, we can kind of see like this. We go, well, I kind of suspend multiple realities and see how I go. I don't think that like with this, we actually have to allow ourselves to fully embrace the humanity of Jesus and fully embrace the fact that he is God without any but, but and like, you know, without sort of questioning anything. So, so no but whatabouts. Just Jesus is fully human and he is fully divine. And allow that to sit there. So, and in God's brilliance, this is the way he wanted to communicate what he wanted to communicate. And this is how he wanted to transform us in the way he wanted to transform us. So when it comes to Christmas, we're going, they were celebrating the birth of a baby. That's cool. Babies are great. But it's more than that. It's looking at, God became man. The incarnation is the enfleshment of God. You know, like carne, like beef, carne asada. You know, it's the actual enfleshment of God. Some, some beef lovers around. So. But we're thinking of God fully taking on the flesh of a human. 
And so if we consider this, it leaves us really with three questions, okay? So the first one is, do you believe God exists? And you probably have to work through that and that might be why you're here or, you know. Then if God did exist then, could he come into the world? Would he have the ability to come into the world? But then that leaves us with a third question, why would God choose to be one of us? Because for most religions in the world, God would not stoop down to the level of that which he created. So why would God then choose to go, I'm going to become one of you? And I think there's probably multiple reasons. I'm going to look at four today because I think it's so important for us to think, okay, if we're going to celebrate this, because I love presents. I love giving presents more than receiving them. Receiving them, the older I get, gets more and more awkward. Um, I love food and celebration. And all that is beautiful. But to fully understand why we are celebrating makes the joys so much more joyful. It gives so much more depth to this. But even more than that, it allows us to take part in what God is doing in transforming the world, in transforming this right here and transforming everything around it. So I want to look at four not so simple ideas, but we're going to go through them pretty quickly and, and then see what God is speaking to us. So Four reasons. Why would, why would God come to earth? The first reason is reconciliation. Reconciling us to the Father. Now, if actions speak louder than words, then think John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So God had said, I love you. And then in saying I love you, it's, it's not enough just to say it. You actually have to put some action behind what you're saying. And if any relationship you have proves that, that actions actually speak way louder than saying something. So in this, the son, of, the son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God, as C.S. Lewis says. So he became man so that we could become his children, to reconcile us to him. Now, the incarnation actually means that God is for us, like he is totally, totally for you. And in Romans 8, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So Jesus left the father. And I think Jesus leaving the father is actually a far greater difficulty than we fully understand. Because all we know is this. And we're like, well, this is pretty good. Like, how can it be that bad? But for Jesus to leave the side of the father, to become man, to accomplish our salvation, he lived a humiliating and self-denying life. And he veiled his holiness so that we could touch him and see him and know him and, and love him. So that we could see what the father is, is really like. But Jesus coming to earth was to say, this is what the father is truly like. And often I, I teach the school and children will sometimes talk about looking at the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. And we look at the Old Testament God as being the harsh judge and the New Testament God as Jesus, who is all loving. And God sent Jesus to say, this is, this is who I am so that you can see what I am really like. This is how, this is how I am. This is how I do things. Okay. So the, 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 the MO of heaven is reconciliation. Okay. That through the means of not counting our sins against us. And we feel the scandal of grace. If you know how sinful you are, you know that how scandalous that is. And we can talk like in church, people talk about, you know, people abusing grace. And we can talk all about that while God continues to run out to meet those people who are coming home. And we can be, you know, talking all about, you know, who did what. 
Or God's like, I just want to welcome them home. That's what I'm about. I'm about reconciliation. I'm not about proving who's right and who's wrong. I'm about getting people back to my heart. And he is so passionate about that that he would send his son, which that tearing would have been heartbreaking alone. And so the first thing, God's absolute heart for us, his reason when we celebrate Christmas is reconciliation, to reconcile us, every one of us in the room, and then everyone else not inside this room, every single person, the ones who seem close to him and the ones who seem furthest away, to reconcile back them back to his heart. Not to tell people they're wrong, not to prove how wrong they are, but to say, I want you to come home. That is, that is my desperate cry. So the first one is to reconcile. The second one is to know God's love. That Jesus used suffering and sacrifice as a sign of love. He loved the poor. He loved the outcast. And this is the way of saying, I want you to see what the Father is like. So the Father intended us to be confident in his nature by what we see in Christ. We meet the Father in light of the Son. And so when we see Jesus, we go, you are really what God is like. This is what God is like. This is how he is. This is how he treats people. This is what he values. But I think we can then go, well, what about, what about the fact there's so much pain in the world? Like, what, what, does, what does God have to say about this? And um, I, I, love, I love this quote here from uh, Pastor Greg Board. He said, Christ's incarnation, death and resurrection reveal that though God is not culpable for the evil in the world, he nevertheless takes responsibility for the evil in the world. And in taking responsibility for it, he overcomes it. On the cross, God suffers at the hands of evil. So pause there. You are not alone in your suffering. If you feel like you've suffered, and most people have this year, God also suffers at the hands of evil. And in this suffering and through his resurrection, he in principle destroys evil. And through the cross and resurrection, God unequivocally displays his loving character and establishes his loving purpose for the world, despite its evil resistance. He demonstrates that evil is not something God wills into existence. It is something he wills out of existence. As we know God's love, we know that his love is the thing that wills evil out of existence. That is, that is part of what he is doing. This sort of invasion from heaven to earth is a willing out of existence all evil. And to the point where he will rid the world of all evil. So God wants us to know his love. The third thing is that Jesus, as fully human and fully divine, is a model of holiness. Now, I believe that this is an interesting like, a struggle at times because Jesus is a model for our potential, for man's potential. And, and often I think I look at Jesus and I go, oh, well, it's easier for you to do what you did because you're God. You know, you look at Jesus and you go, well, I'm just me. But you were God, so it would have been easy to do miracles and to love people and, and you know, to forgive sins and all these things because, because you're God. But then that takes away from the humanity of Jesus. And so when we look at Jesus, we actually look at him as going, this is actually the potential that you set for me. That you actually think that I could become like this. And in fact, Jesus said, you'll do even greater things. And I think that's sometimes challenging it because we go, oh, actually, first of all, I doubt that I could ever be like that. And I think maybe God trusts us more than we trust ourselves. And we think, God, maybe, maybe you got it wrong. Or maybe it's a bit like a, just dangling a carrot in front of us. And this is the thing that we kind of reach for but we'll never fully attain. And I, and I don't think that God is cruel. I don't think he, he's like that. He's actually set us the example of Jesus to say, no, 
this is actually what I believe that you could become. I genuinely believe and want you to become people who resemble Jesus in the world. People who, if, if you were Jesus, if Jesus were you, then you would be doing the things that he's doing in the world. And, and I think that is challenging on so many levels. You spend half an hour on your own and you know that that's challenging to be like Jesus. Half an hour with people, anywhere you go. It's just the things we say, the things we do, so often don't resemble Jesus. And he's still saying, I am giving you, I gave myself as a model for who you could become like. John Mark Hammer said this, yes, Jesus was the template for what godness looks like. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus of Nazareth. But the mystery of the incarnation is that he was also the template for what real, true humanness looks like. He's the son of God and he's the son of Adam. If you want to know what a, fully, uh, what a human being fully awake and alive, ruling over the world as a conduit for the creator, God's love looks like in flesh and blood, then look at Jesus. He's calling us to be fully awake and fully alive. And I feel most of the time 30% awake. And I definitely feel alive. I don't always feel fully awake. And he's saying, I, I am calling you to be people who are fully awake and fully alive. Surrendered. Casting off things that aren't like me. Becoming more and more like me. So fully awake, fully alive. All right. So Jesus came to the earth for reconciliation, for us to know God's love as a model for holiness. And then the last one, is that we are partakers in his divine nature. Now, which is an interesting way of saying that we are called to participate in, what, in God's life. So God is doing things here. I, I love in the morning, sometimes you know, we pray and you've got plans for the day. I'm sure you have plans for most days. But I love praying and asking God what he is doing in the world and how I can be part of that. Because I often have some decent plans for the day. But when I discover what his plans are for the day, they trump mine every time. They're always better. And the outcome is always far better than my outcomes ever could be. And so we get this opportunity to partake in what God is doing here. Um, N.T. Wright says this, the point of God becoming incarnate is not to rescue people from the world and take them somewhere else. The point of God becoming incarnate is in order to launch his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We talk about that a bit. His aim is not just your ticket to heaven when you die. Of course, that's part of it, but it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. And, and of course, great things will happen when we are with God. But he's saying it's more than just you just sitting, you know, like you've got your ticket, now you can just sit back and wait. He's like, no, I'm, I'm in the business of transforming the earth in the meantime. Like I want this place to look like that place, this place, like your home, our city, the church, the supermarket, wherever you are looking more and more like heaven. Wherever you are, in your your workplace, relationships look more and more like heaven. That we beautify the place. That we are excellent in what we do, in our jobs, in our craft. So we get to participate in sort of God's godness. Because he is about creation and he is about restoration. He is about reconciliation. So we actually get to participate in that. He's calling us to that. Now, Um, George MacDonald, he wrote this a long time ago in Scotland. He said this, Instead of crushing the power of evil by divine force, instead of compelling justice and destroying the wicked, instead of making peace on earth by the rule of a perfect prince, instead of gathering the children of Jerusalem under his wings, whether they would or not, and saving them from the horrors that anguished his prophetic soul, Jesus 
let evil work its will while it lived. He contented himself with the slow, unencouraging ways of help essential, making men good, casting out, not merely controlling Satan. To love righteousness is to make it grow, not to avenge it. God loves righteousness and it's a slow game, but I believe that with God showing us this model, but then also inviting us to partake in what he's doing, his incarnation woos out godly character from within us. He woos it out. He calls it out. He, it allows us to love righteousness without stamping out the people who aren't righteous. Now, as a teacher, I know this well because there are some kids and when they turn about 15, you're like, we're still just going to cling on for dear life and hope that something good comes of you. And there are some kids that you're like, oh, there's got to be some good, Gabby, one day. Um, so there, sometimes there's this slow game with people and you can, you've just sort of got to hold on and love people. And we don't force righteousness upon people. You can't force righteousness upon a person. Sometimes you just have to hold on for the slow game and love them. And I believe that God is much the same with us, that he is, he is like, he is all about slow. He doesn't mind slow. We often want things to happen really fast. He's like, I'm in this, I'm like, I'm after long-term goodness. I'm not after quick fixes. I'm after solid, deep foundations. And he is all about the slow game, taking time so that we become righteous. And he does the same with everyone else around you, okay? And so God's plan is to create a people, not who can't sin, but who don't want to sin. Not just like a quick fix, oh, well, I can't sin anymore. No, as he makes us righteous, we become people who don't want to sin. That we actually love the things of God more than we love our own stuff. If you might've heard the saying, you know, love the sin, I hate the sin. And I prefer love the sin, I hate your own sin. That we love people and we hate what's here. We hate what we do. Instead of going, I'm hating everything that you're doing, we go, no, no, I'm called just to love people and hold on for the slow game. To love them into righteousness. Does that make sense? We, we are loving, we, we love people into righteousness. You can't, you can't force people into righteousness. Jesus' plan was not to come to earth and force everyone into righteousness. He could have. He could have, but he would have removed free will in the process and he would have removed any chance for relationship. But he's in it for the long game. He's saying, I will love you to righteousness. I will love you in that direction. If you're a parent, you know that full well. I will love you in the right direction. So, John Wesley said this, orthodoxy or right opinion is at best a very slender part of religion. There may be a right opinion of God without either love or one right temper toward God. Satan is proof of this. What he's saying is that basically theological rightness never precedes being in love with him. That you can be right about everything, you can know what's right, never precedes being in love with God. And so I believe our call in this, in understanding the incarnation, understand God becoming man, is not for us to go, well, I know all the answers. I know everything and I'm better than everyone else. Not that we would ever think that because tall poppy syndrome would tear you down in a second. But because God is saying, 
I want you to love me more than you, the stuff that you think you know you're right about. I want you to love just knowing me. I want you to be fully known and fully loved by me because it is that that will actually change the world. Not us going and telling people they're right or wrong or proving that I'm theologically correct about this and you're theologically wrong about that or left or right politics or whatever it is. You, it's pretty clear to see that battles of righteousness never work. But when we live righteously, when we love like Jesus, that is actually the transforming factor. That is the thing that transforms the world. And so he is calling us not to be people who can stand up and say, I'm right about everything. I'm going to prove that you're wrong. But to say, I know that I'm fully loved and I fully love you, Jesus. And that's basically it. So today, I guess our call is, is this. And it's, this, this one thing is stuck, stuck out to me. Christ is fully enough or he isn't enough. There's never almost enough in Christ. We don't see in Christ is almost enough for me. We see in Christ is enough for me. Christ is fully enough or he's not enough. And so today, I want to, we, we, you guys can jump up, um, give you an opportunity this morning to go, well, Jesus, you are, Fully, fully human and fully divine, and that blows my mind. But you came to earth because you loved me so much, not to prove anything right, but just to say you love me and you love the people around me. And you are transforming the world, not by right opinion, but by love. Transforming the world through making this place look bit like heaven and and i believe that that is the miracle of christmas that god would send his son to do that out of absolute love for us and and i don't want you just to think about this theologically or just intellectually although that's really important it's really important that you know it and understand it but i think more so god is saying i want you to know right here i want you to know how much I love you and how much I love the people around you, how much I am in the business of reconciling you back to my heart, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. I think he wants to get a little bit of a glimpse of that, whatever it takes, however long it takes, however hard it is, he wants to restore people back to his heart. So why don't you stand? We're going to see in a second. And I want to just give you an opportunity just to pray and say, Jesus, well, what does this mean for me now? All right. There's all this work that you're doing. It's all this stuff that's happening. But what, is this, what does this mean for me today? I, I honestly believe that for some of you, it's actually surrendering the fact that Jesus wants to make you like him, that you, you're still convinced that that's either impossible or he doesn't really want to do that. But he's like, no, no, I set myself as a model because I want you to be like me. Or I think for others, it's God's heart, his love for you or the people in your family. He's saying, I actually genuinely want you to get a taste of my heart for people. Whatever it is, I don't know. I'm just going to give you a chance to, I'm just going to pray and just say, God, what is it that you're speaking to us today? What is it that you want to move in here so that I can become more like you? So you can put your hands out if you want, if you want to surrender something, if you want to receive something. Let's just take a moment. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here. We thank you that you are speaking to us and you don't want us just to live with head knowledge, but you want us to live with transformation, transformation of the way we think and the way we act, the way we live so that we can become more like you. 
God, thank you that you love us. And we, we declare that we are loved by you. Whether we fully think that or not, we are loved by you. And the world around us is loved by you, desperately loved by you, loved with a depth that we don't fully understand. Maybe we don't fully want to understand, but we trust that you love us and you love those in our family, in our workplaces, in our city, around the world. You deeply care for people, God. You are about reconciling people back to your heart, whatever the cost. So God, this Christmas, may we understand how much you love us, how much you love people, how much you are desperate to restore people to your heart. God, may we understand that you are calling us to live like you, to live righteous, but not lording that over people, but actually using that as a way just to love people, just to come alongside people in a selfless, God-honoring way. Lord, may we put aside our, our thoughts where we think we're right and just love people the way you love us. And God, today, may we just declare that you are good and that you are Lord. We do, as we sing, we give you the highest praise because you actually deserve that. You are worthy of that above any man, above any woman, above any person who lives on earth, above anything, God. You are worthy above everything. So God, right now, we declare that you are good and you're worthy of all our praise.